Welcome to Teragrams. Hi, I'm Craig Verzone and I'll be your host for the 14th delivery of Teragrams. Today we are in Barcelona and are joined by the Danish landscape architect Christina Jensen. Ms. Jensen is a member of the Danish Federation of Landscape Architects, the EFLA, as well as the IFLA. Her studio is located in Aarhus, Denmark, the same city where she received her PhD and Masters of Architecture in Landscape Architecture from the School of Architecture. Recently, she was awarded the Rosa Barba Prize at the 5th Biennale of European Landscape hosted in Barcelona. She is currently the president of the Royal Academy for Fine Arts in Denmark. It's a pleasure for us that you've been able to make the time and take the time out of your week to join us in our project. Um, welcome to the show, Christina. Thank you. Yesterday you presented a project of yours, which is a finalist in this year's Biennale of Landscape, uh, hosted in Barcelona. The project was to, or transformed an old uh, education center called Nicolai in the city of Kolding, Denmark. And in, it involves cultural space and bringing together activities such as cinema, literature, daycare, music. Could you tell us a little bit about, about this project? Yes, of course. It's a, it's a quite um, marvelous project program in the sense that uh, the client had very um, high expectations that they wanted a completely different public space that were uh, where there were free allowance but um, of course but it should have um, focus on uh, young kids and, and youngsters and but also it should be for everybody and I think the the whole aim of the of the place is to to make it a free space and make it a function for everybody. And also, when you when they say they want something new, you also have to go into that sentence. Mm -hmm. I mean, what is new? Everything right. is <laughs> presented as new, but what we try to was sort of try to to expand the space in, in a different way, I think. And um, first and foremost, you had to take it out of its misery. It was just a lousy backyard. <laughs> and the whole uh, area, would, it's, a, it's actually a space 100 meters by uh, 35 meters in the middle. So the proportions aren't that good. And you have like four houses in the front row and two houses in the back, three in the front and, and two, two in the back. So in order just to perceive the room, you have to, um, to get it up from mm -hmm. being just a backyard. Mm -hmm. And so our first level was to sort of mend it in, on the city level. And by that, I, meant, I mean we made a big wall of uh, which... Um, I'll tell you about later. A big wall mended it on one side, and on the other side, we filled in the gap between the, the the row of houses. There was one missing. So in that sense, we sort of mended mm -hmm. on the city level. And then the next step for us was this was done with lots of sense and um, function and thinking on how um, you can manage order. And then on the other side, we're trying to stress it in a sense. We, um, we introduced uh, what you could call a disorder or, or a 
redesign. I mean, that since we had the... This was on the kids' side. Yeah, no, you have... You see, you have, we have two architectural programs. We have one on the city level with the walls and, and, and the small um, uh, round uh, figure. If you see it from the plan mm -hmm. above, you can see this, those two things to organize that. But in order to not letting everything be order, we tried mm -hmm. to make you know, the, this kind of dots all over. We had a program with the city garden and, and the patents and all these stuffs that come together, the trees. And, mm -hmm. and you see that in the presentation as well. We tried to sort of uh, let it come through so that you can see all these things. And by that, we we work with counteracting and and uh, and um, and as I said in in my presentation, yes, we 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 also make contradictions within the same room. And I think that's an important one if you want to achieve something new. You can't just make a new room by just ordering it. Mm -hmm. You have to offer different things. And by that, I think we try to expand the room and have uh, lots of fun into it. Mm -hmm. So it cannot be perceived just by uh, by one end. You can't stand in it in the central point of view. You see very differences. And, uh, and with it, we try to cope with the fact that when you when you work in the city, you work also with mobility and the possibility that p people are walking and have a passage through it. So we try to open up from different angles so it was available. Openness is uh, essential to any kind of public space that people actually come through. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, it will not function. And this was in a backyard, so you need to make sure mm -hmm. that people were drawn to it and that they could sense it. Mm -hmm. And that was the first main purpose. So you have at least uh, uh, many ways to get, to get into the room. Mm -hmm. And the other simple thing is that you need attraction to get people to come there. And it's designed for children of what age groups? It's, no, it's not actually designed for, for children. We just need to focus on children. Mm -hmm. You see, it's designed for everybody. It has, it has a purpose to be for everybody. And I think you need to do that if it's a public space. You cannot be particularly just go for one. I know there's a tendency in many cities just to go for one option. But the whole point of being public is that you mm -hmm. are public. Mm -hmm. So you, you, need, you need to make sure that it's also for olders and as well as youngers. And how, how has it been received by the local public? Very good, actually. In the beginning, they thought it was really strange, <laughs> you see, because we... So they, they got their new. Yeah, they got their new. And part of why they think it's strange is because well, the materials we have used are maybe untraditional if you see it according to a public space, because people have... Well, people in general and even landscape architects in general have the idea that public space should be made of, out of stone. Mm -hmm. You have to deal with the city as some kind of category where you work with vandalism. You, you know, you have a quite traditional attitude where you work with the 
hard stone, grey colours, things mm-hmm. they can stand for a hundred years and have a good, sort of a, an aura of uh, eternity towards it. And in in Nikolai, we just did the opposite. We we worked with things that you're familiar with in a city, but uh, you don't actually often use in a public space, such as asphalt, mm-hmm. such as steel, such as neon colors, such as bright colors. Mm-hmm. And by that, we also wanted to work with things that um fluently, one could say, or mm-hmm. things that are not just... We we used all these very hardware materials, but did it in a very joyful mm-hmm. manner. We played with them, mm-hmm. and that's why you, the 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 whole uh, floor in in this place is made out of asphalt and have, have white uh, uh, graphics and that you see in the city in every road. We just did it in a more playful manner, so you see it as darks they come out and. and maybe take you much more into a dance or like the kids react very much to that mm-hmm. they like it because they mm-hmm. they're familiar with it the like although it's as fun as a hard ground it's also a soft ground mm-hmm. you can you can draw on it and and it's good for playing ball any kind of mm-hmm. uh, games uh, as far as it's great to do mm-hmm. uh, skating and you can go on any kinds of bikes and stuff like that. So in that sense, it was perceived really good. And is it perceived as a, compared to stone, as a more short-term yes. material? Yes, and it is deliberately, in that sense, you need to see it uh, in with a lesser eternity, <laughs> <laughs> with a shorter horizon. But I don't think uh, that's the problem, because many public spaces are... Um, are not maintained for more than at least maybe 25, 20, yeah, 20 mm-hmm. years. So in that term, we worked with that, mm-hmm. that within maybe 25 years, it would just... We need to leave some renovation projects yeah. for the next generation yeah. of landscape architects. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Tell us a little bit about this pattern that you superimpose yeah. or you place into the project. Yeah. Does it serve a, uh, a function? Well, it serves an architectural function in the sense that it counteracts the the straight order you have from above. It uh, and it's part of uh, being playful in that sense that you allow things that n- not just work as ordering. Mm-hmm. And the, I think that's uh, important because if you just have one clue as architect- architectural use as order, it com- becomes boring. Mm-hmm. You're Danish, correct? Yeah. Um, you come from a culture which respects and even cherishes modernism. And perhaps it's a culture whose traditionalism is modern. Does this make it more or less difficult to make contemporary work? Well, um, both. <laughs> and at the same time, no, it's not difficult to work com- <coughs> With the contemporary work, but it, it's you just have to know that you're doing it. Uh, yes, the Danish tradition of modernism is, is quite strong, also on the on the uh, on the landscape side, both mm-hmm. on the architectural and landscape side. 
and we have this peculiarity that uh, the landscape architects are actually trained as architects on the School mm -hmm. of Architecture, both in Copenhagen and in Aarhus. And beside that, you have the traditional one where you can be trained as landscape architect at the university, at the, at the departments for horticulture. Mm -hmm. So we have these two lines, and we were, the, we were quite familiar with that. Mm -hmm. But uh, on the other hand, you, you, you get a very um, integrated uh, uh, landscape architecture. is quite integrated mm -hmm. in the architectural life in, in Denmark. And you see, you see um, uh, great observance towards landscape architecture mm -hmm. from, the, from the architects. So in that sense, it's, it's quite good because you're familiar with it mm -hmm. and you also... As landscape architect, you're, of course, very familiar with what's happening in architecture. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was done by Sørensen and Brandt, who did that in around uh, 25 or so. It was the first, uh, he, he was one of the first professors at the, at the, uh, the academy in Copenhagen. CTH. Yeah, Sørensen mm -hmm. was one of the first in that sense. And he, he was part of the whole Deve developing the whole theory that landscape architecture is, a, is, an, uh, is an architecture and thereby it's about space uh, and that's your, and that's your uh, common and foremost most ground to work from, that you work with space. And that's in that sense I'm a traditionalist. Mm -hmm. I, I work with space, <laughs> and that's my whole purpose. That's uh, that's the ground uh, matter, the ground mm -hmm. material from what I'm doing. And so his his work and his writing and theory, Sorensen's and Brandt's, is still very influential today. It is. So he's uh, the fathers of landscape architecture. Yeah, yeah, of course they are. They. They are, to my knowledge, constantly <laughs> reread and discussed, and mm -hmm. maybe too much. I think the tradition felt too much, or meant too much, and it was also it had quite a habit of being very stiff. Mm -hmm. And uh, what you see, tradition can develop to be the method. Mm -hmm. And thereby, uh, thereby they capture everything, so we can only make one way of understanding landscape architecture. And in that sense, it, it tends to sort of just um, capture everything. In a, of course, there are other methods. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't think I actually just need to work with new things. I just, I just think that our period should have a way of understanding the world by landscape architecture mm. in its own way. So, and also, I think that a public, um, a public space should be for the public. The, the, you see a lot of rooms in the city as a whole that are public spaces that are not sort of controlled by landscape architecture, and they should also be developed, and they should also have... Um, uh, love and attention. Mm -hmm. Sorensen published a book on gardens, uh, 29 gardens, each yeah. worth the same. 39 gardens. 39 gardens. Yeah. Um, and it, the book is very much concerned with the formal language of the garden and the spatial qualities that yeah. can sort of differ through different organizations. Clearly, space and form were important to the modernists and to Sorensen yeah. and Brent's work. 
um, were they also curious and interested in pursuing ideas uh, of ecologies? Well, not as, I don't think as much science in those because ecologists were, you didn't know what that was then. <laughs> I mean, it started around the 70s, and it? The whole sort of idea that we can lose the world, that we have to react to this. Mm-hmm. And, um, but I think it means a lot today mm-hmm. in any kind. And you could say that uh, Sørensen was, he was very, and also the teachers who came after him, like Svenning Andersen and, and Sven Hansen, and they, they were very, uh, they were very concerned with the landscape, not just as a preservation place, but as a place for people. And that's, uh, I think that's part of being an architect, and thereby are mm-hmm. very aware of the ecology, like people are in general. Mm-hmm. And you know that you can work with it as a landscape architect. Mm-hmm. It's very, it's a, it's a great job in that sense. Well, certainly, you're the city plan of Copenhagen, which is based on a uh-huh. palm print, yep. and w- came to be a century ago. Yeah, is has some heavy ecological repercussions in that the fingers are spines of transportation, and the cities develop along the yep. fingers, and then in between the fingers, you get these big park parks that stretch down as close to the center as possible. Is, yeah. is the palm, the five-finger plant, still evident it in is, Copenhagen? It is, and it's a, it's a very strong figure because everybody knows it. But uh, they have allowed, I mean, uh, the fingers to be shorter <laughs> and the palm to be much broader mm-hmm. and wider. And that's, of course, uh, is threatening the whole idea mm-hmm. because they're filling out the gaps. Right. And, well... That's part of being a big city when you allow that, and they've never made a good plan for the transportation and the pendling in in the Copenhagen area, and that's part of the problem, mm-hmm. is that uh, you have so many people going in and out of Copenhagen, mm-hmm. and uh, you've never truly solved that problem, and mm-hmm. thereby you get the the palm to grow and grow and grow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's certain pressure of growth coming from the center. Yeah. But the whole figure is quite an image also on how you see perceived landscape or, and you perceive planning and you, in an architectural manner and you can take a whole uh, uh, big city's sort of idea by just understanding mm-hmm. it in, the, in a figure like mm-hmm. that. That's, uh, that's truly a picture. Formal yeah, pattern. It's, mm-hmm. a, it's a true figure of mm-hmm. how architecture can work as mm-hmm. planned. Mm-hmm. What what's happening inside these green these green fingers? Are they really parks or agriculture or? They are they are actually both uh, landscape uh, figures uh, from the original landscape. All the all the landscape in Denmark is more or less made almost the same time that was in the Ice Age, mm-hmm. and uh, so the the uh, the, the in betweens in the in the hand are both uh, certain pieces of landscape that later on has been maintained as uh, as forests along green forest. Mm-hmm. So it's, it is a uh, true pattern also. So it's getting managed more as forests than uh, both, any other? Both uh, uh, forest and uh, public spaces as mm-hmm. greenery and you have some, um, you have a lot of cultural uh, um, what is that called? It's you have 
archaeological stuff and you mm-hmm. know, historic lines in between. So it's both agriculture, it's, uh, it's um, forest, and you have some public parks, mm-hmm. bigger, large parks. And ha- have, has any of your work addressed this landscape typology, or is your work more concentrated in the urbanized areas? No, my, my work is also, we're dealing also with planning and landscape and, and city space in general. I'm just here in the Biennale with this piece of work. <laughs> right. Yeah, we work with the bigger picture as well. Mm-hmm. Like in uh, Aarhus, we're working with a uh, big museum called Musco Mus Museum. Mm-hmm. It's uh, it's a fantastic museum. They're about to expand with a very big uh, new mus- museum for for exhibition, uh, and they're working with the old with the Stone Age and, and the Vikings, and they work. They also have a very beautiful sort of anthropology section where they have uh, had a former professor who worked with the with the Middle East and so they have a lot of uh, these stuff they mended together very nicely mm-hmm. and we're working on this piece and uh, starting it up in January and I, it, it, it is of course a complete different task to work in in, in the nature and preserved mm-hmm. areas than to work with the cities right so you've started designing, or you're starting to think about designing? We have started, because we won it in a competition mm-hmm. with the, the office of Henning Larsen, mm-hmm. like two or three years ago. And that seems to be a pattern. <laughs> you win a competition, like, a, and two or three years after, the, they start, start to, to right. work with it, yeah. You've had incredible success with competitions since you launched your office in 2002. Looking through your list, I've noted that you've, You've won uh, virtually a competition a year. Can you share with us how you gained this success above and beyond you're just doing good work? Uh, have you have you found any formulas that might 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 give us some insight? It's true. I, I work a lot with competition. That's the way we get our jobs. But uh, also, you see, uh, in working with competition, I would say. S- it's like uh, doing a, a certain kind of sport. It's a very hard... Did you say drug or sport? <laughs> sport. <laughs> it is... Uh, it's hard work. Mm-hmm. And you have to be... You have to read the program very intensely. That's part of it, understanding through the program mm-hmm. what is actually asked for. Mm-hmm. And then you have to give it a strong idea, this program. And then also what I think we contribute with, and which is our sort of special force, is that we read it into a bigger context. Mm-hmm. We always think of it as a landscape, both city and nature. Mm-hmm. And by landscape, I mean we sort of try to defin- make a definition um, uh, that can be seen more or less um, as a motive. For instance, in Moscow, the one we won, we won certainly uh, by understanding the 
that it was a very beautiful piece of uh, nature uh, with forests and farmland and small hills down to the water. But also it had uh, it, that it was built upon some uh, a, uh, an old uh, garden from the 16th century, which gave it some very beautiful sort of baroque lines, and you had alleys and stuff like that. Mm. So we sort of based the whole uh, contribution on these lines, mm -hmm. which was very subtle, but very straight. It was very easy to recognize, but it was also very easy to draw, because mm -hmm. you could counteract on very subtle things. You had straight lines, and you had sort of beautiful curved lines. Does the birth of one of these concepts take a rather long, does it have a long evolution, or is it really born and recognized in an immediate way? I think you both, you know, sometimes mm -hmm. it takes long. To, uh, it, the, the less of the complicated, the, the more complicated <laughs> ones take long to uh, develop. But you also have to be, you, know, you also have to take chances. I mean, you have to try to, to develop a language way by where you can see it. And maybe it, it will not be, the container will not be okay. A form is like a container. Mm -hmm. And you put things into it, and then, and, and then by looking at it, you can see: Do I actually see the things I want to see in this? Mm -hmm. So you have to take chances and put something forward, so that you have something to to work from. Mm -hmm. So in that way, in that sense, you need to react to, to your own work, and that's that's part of the evolution to see mm -hmm. if it works. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it just takes longer time, and then <laughs> you're not, the, you do, your form as a sportsman doesn't peak. Mm -hmm. So, of course, when you do competition, you also lose some. <laughs> yes. How many, how many competitions does it take to win one? In generally, in generally, well, we have had a success rate of like fifty percent. Mm -hmm. That's good. Yeah. I don't think the the bigger ones it takes longer time. They're not that successful. You are listening to Terragrams, and our guest is Christina Jensen. She is a landscape architect with a studio in Aarhus, Denmark, and the recent winner of the fifth Rosa Barba European Landscape Prize. I want to talk, or I want you to talk briefly about form, and you just mentioned the phrase form as a container. Um, I noticed in many of your projects the use of the circle. I was recently reading something written by Michael van Gessel, and he says that he prefer, prefers the oval to the circle, and that the circle is more static and the oval more dynamic, given that it has an orientation and a certain directionality. Um, what does the use of the circle mean in, 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 in your work, and how profound is that to some of your uh, fundamental concepts of, of landscape architecture? The, the whole discussion about whether you need a round or you need a novel is part of Danish tradition. And you have this discussion by Sitwul Sørensen, who is mm -hmm. very familiar with the, the whole part of using a novel. He has an allotment garden project yes. very well known with yes. lots of ovals. And he's, 
and also his uh, successor um, Svenning Anderson have used the oval mm -hmm. and also uh, Svenning Anderson's successor Steinhoyer has used the oval so I'm quite familiar with the work <laughs> of the novel so to me it was the liberation of not using the oval mm -hmm. and thereby I think the circle has a lot freer form I did when I used I, when I don't use the oval, it's partly because I thought it old-fashioned mm -hmm. and it couldn't solve as much. You, you've mm -hmm. seen it too much, mm -hmm. probably. And, and so it had extended, it, it had emptied itself mm -hmm. as form. When you use the oval in Danish landscape architecture, like 10 years ago, you were just dated. I mean, it was, mm -hmm. it was, you couldn't use it mm -hmm. <laughs> more or less. So, so in that sense, the, the circle is a lot easier, more playful. Now, to take the conversation just one step yeah. beyond, because we're talking about a contained object mm -hmm. or surface, mm -hmm. why not the square, why not the polygon or uh, the geomorphic construction of curved? When you edges? use a circle, you have a space inside and a space outside. And it's, it's like... Um, when you see in the Egyptian pictures, you have, if you put a cross over the circle, you have a diagram for a city. Mm. You, so, in, in that sense, it bears a lot of the symbol. And, but I just use the circle often as a, as a way of saying that we want to make a pattern. We're just not developing so in that sense, it's a very free and liberated form. Mm -hmm. And also, I've noticed that if you work with, with uh, dots or circles, and they have a joyful character. Mm -hmm. So of course you shouldn't use them when you're not joyful. <laughs> you earned a PhD yeah. in architecture yeah. um, from the architecture school in Aarhus in 1996. What were you studying? I made a... Not to make the transition from no, being joyful to no, not joyful. It's, it, well, I worked with a, a book that was a long piece of work that's called... Um, um, in Danish, it's called uh, how, to think in how to Think Landscape in Architecture. Mm -hmm. And it was a study where I, um, I visited... Uh, around 20 bigger pieces in, uh, uh, in, uh, all over the world. Um, bigger gardens, uh, or um, uh, like uh, the, I went also to the pyramids, and I think all pieces you've seen in Jellico's, uh, mm -hmm. the man-made. Mm -hmm. um, so they were sort of... Uh, pieces of, one could say pieces of work or pieces of landscape architecture that are part of our thinking of what landscape architecture actually can be. They are sublime examples on what architecture and landscape can do together. And I wanted to try to get a, a bigger understanding on how these things were uh, actually working. Were they mostly pre-modern uh, no, sites? they weren't. No, they were also modern sites. Mm -hmm. the, the, I, 
I categorized them in four uh, themes. Uh, and so I had a theme what you could call, or I called object and landscape, mm -hmm. where you have the pyramids that they work with a large context of the sky or the earth, as, uh, and this little piece sort of work with, mm -hmm. with the whole stuff. And on the on the the fourth team, I work with um, more complex structures, like uh, the one from Mirai's Mirai's mm -hmm. um, Igualada Cemetery, where you have a whole set of movements, where the whole landscape is a lot more integrated into uh, even a, a cultural made landscape. So of course you have a span there between what landscape actually is. Mm -hmm. So my point of view with the PhD was to to figure out what the landscape do for the architecture instead of the other way mm -hmm. around, what can architecture do for landscape? And so I tried to study what landscape was in these particular places. I also made um, a study on, on some of the bigger French gardens because I'm very I think they, I'm very aware that they, they carry a whole culture, they carry a part of the whole thing, why we think modernistic mm -hmm. now. They have, you have a long tradition there from the, from the, the bigger gardens in France. Mm -hmm. And you see that tradition today as well. They're very familiar with working with very large, big projects, mm -hmm. also in Holland still. Mm -hmm. Have you made a book? Yes, I made a book, but I've never had the chance to, re to sort of uh, transform it into to a more public book. <laughs> what are you that, waiting? What are you waiting for? Yeah, people have asked me because they actually they're they're actually students in the mm -hmm. school of Wagner. It's in the library also, mm -hmm. uh, and but it's only in Danish. Mm -hmm. And I I still have um, people who want to read it and ask me questions about it. I simply haven't had the time, you know, I had my office, right. I had my son, and <laughs> things go by, but I, yeah, recently I've thought about it again, because now it's been 10 years, and it's just there, so right. it's just, but luckily, it's not going, it's not going out of sight, and it's not going sort of um, to be old-fashioned in any mm -hmm. sense, mm -hmm. it's, so... Maybe I'll, I hope I'll have time. <laughs> the questions are still puzzling me. I think you, know, you have such many things in landscape architecture, mm -hmm. and this this whole sharing that you can talk about the old stuff as well mm -hmm. is, is such a great thing in this in this profession. After practicing for a decade, would you add another chapter? By way, um, in which sense do you think? I don't think? know. I mean, is is has is the there anything has, beyond landscape? Has, <laughs> is that something? Has, has the retrospect of making landscape um, given you different insight into how you might how you might turn your work, your PhD work, or has it merely confirmed uh, much of what you were thinking about at the time? Well, I I, uh, I thought once when I was younger that uh, you could mix uh, um, the the academic world a lot more with the practical world. 
I still think it's very, very important that you have intersections when they meet, like this Biennale, I think. Because um, I think if you make the ac academic world run its own show, it, it tends to get too academic. Uh, and by that, I mean it uh, make uh, its own world where it thinks of the of the uh, of the practical offices um, as one that they can't use and mm -hmm. cannot learn from. And they have to, because mm -hmm. it is at the same mm -hmm. time. Are you still teaching? Not very much. Um, I have uh, some work in Oslo in the Department of Urbanism there. And I also tend to go to Stin Hoyer's yearly classes where, where I teach and mm -hmm. lecture. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's, on, it's very little. I, I'm also um, uh, censoring uh, uh, at the, both the School of Architecture in Aarhus and in, in Oslo and, and in Copenhagen. Mm -hmm. So that's all. But I think that the, um, the whole uh, issue about um, whether the academic world should... Uh, should or, or you could... Um, you could mix pra practical stuff with the academic. Uh, I, th I think you need to have the research period by yourself. It's another way of finding out things than when you develop projects. And they have similarities, uh, and they share a lot by simple curiosity, mm -hmm. or simple, like you, wanting to know more. How can how can things develop in such a different way, and why are there so many answers? And but also what we share in common, the the basic question, why is it that we share so many common things? Still, why do you, why do we want still it to be a profession that have related answers, that have related questions? That is the basic challenge to be both landscape architecture and to practice with it and also to make research into mm -hmm. You talk about the need for solitary or sort of time alone to think carefully about issues and that the academic realm makes this available. Are there any tools from within the profession that allow a practitioner to do that Outside of the academic world, while while they're still in course of making professional work, public or private. Yeah, you sometimes have it when you're asked to make an article, <laughs> 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 or you make it happen, because that's like when I went here, I needed to actually to take some time to figure out what had to be done with this public space in Colin And there you get a space in between where you actually sort of make it or you force yourself to figure out what, what really worked, why was this place made this way we made it. Mm -hmm. So in that sense you have a small room there. Otherwise, the, the practice is a very busy job, mm -hmm. and you have uh, you have to deliver, and you have to do your job, and and it takes a long time to develop landscape architecture, 
and you have to do it uh, in a way that in the way you want to do it and that means with great care and that takes a long time and costs a lot of money mm -hmm. is there a schizophrenia or a, a division between running a good business and running a good studio design studio and are they always in conflict with one another not necessarily making money and designing well but it's just that if you want to make money it's difficult also to have a master's that says that architecture is the superior course so it's, it's the question whether you have two masters <laughs> probably and do you, you you tend to follow your architectural questions and the way we try to run our office is that it's sort of very workshop um, carried out. And uh, my employees, lots of them are also semi-trained at school. Mm -hmm. But now I'm not doing this anymore, so uh, I get younger people whom I'm not, whom I have not trained. But so we work very like a, a workshop, and it's of course my job to to sort of um, say that we have no more time and mm -hmm. the deadline is there mm -hmm. and that's how we control the economic is it hard to do that if on one hand you see that you financially don't have any more time and on the other hand you see that the project needs more time to find a resolution that you're pleased with yes it is difficult but it's always the question which wins <laughs> which which wins well, it's very simple. When you're the boss and you have employees, you have to understand that you can make them out of work. That's the whole issue. So you can't do that as a boss. You have to be aware that the finances are short and you have to come to, to, come to terms with the, the architectural questions. And sometimes they're just not the right ones at that time. Mm -hmm. And then... You hope for the next job. Mm. Oh, you go find another job. <laughs> Can good design be good business also? Yeah, you can see Danish, Danish design has become a very <laughs> yes. big business. And I think uh, one in four we must uh, say that Apple <laughs> has taken the part of uh, right. uh, making uh, Danish design, the whole concept of Danish mm -hmm. design is in no, Apple design. But maybe today. maybe we could separate product design from landscape design yeah. because there's a certain scale yeah. differences. It is. Um, can good landscape design still be good business? Um, you've, I, I, I think it's very difficult to answer that question because I've never seen the measurement anywhere. Mm -hmm. Have you? No. So, well, except from my own personal experience from yeah, trying to exactly. run a small business and yeah. make interesting work. I can, I can say it in another way, is that um, uh, the ones we've been the most successful with uh, are, not, uh, are not necessarily the ones that have been most difficult in terms of uh, sort of uh, money-making and not the ones uh, uh, that actually 
It's difficult to answer. I, I don't know how to answer it. I've never made the measurement, mm -hmm. but I don't. I don't think that there need to be any problem. And how big is your office currently? Uh, currently, we're ten employees. Yeah. And how do you structure your office? Um, of course, I'm the boss because I'm the one mm -hmm. who can sort of tell whether people should be there or not be there. And I'm also, I have to admit, the one who sort of uh, the mind thinker, the one who sets up the job and, and sets up the profile, of course. But uh, in, other, in any other sense, it is a workshop. And I'm very pleased with the workers, I, with the people that work for me. That it's it's a uh, it's quite a good studio. Mm -hmm. We um, we are very proud of what we do, and we yeah we work with architecture mm -hmm. and landscape. Truly, you're both architects and landscape architects. No, we don't do houses. Mm -hmm. I I tend to separate between Are you trained as both? Do you have... Well, you're trained as both I've done, I've done a... But I'm not interested in housing. Mm -hmm. I'm interested in, in all the things around and the context. Mm -hmm. and so I'm not really interested in houses. Mm -hmm. I, to me, they're too small. <laughs> <laughs> when you're not making landscapes, what do you do for fun? Oh, I... I always make landscapes. <laughs> no, I I have a lot of fun. I listen to music. I'm very into modern music. I like to go to look at art. Um, I have a lot of friends who are artists, and I like to have um, long discussions with them about life and art and architecture and find similarities between... Uh, why we do the stuff we do. Mm -hmm. And then I like any kind of food. <laughs> <laughs> I'm very much into food, and, and I think it's... Uh, I like to go out and eat and have fun and make discussions with people. That's probably my hobby. <laughs> That's good. Does the music, your interest in music... Your interest in music Modern, and art, does it, does it influence your work? Do you see it directly influencing your work? Yeah, because I try to uh, listen to what kind of rooms they make in the music. Mm -hmm. So, and I like to see modern spaces in in music. I try to listen to how they make the plane observations, how how they build up a room, or, or whether they distract it. Like uh, there's a young uh, Norwegian one, which is called Thomas Dubdale. I think he has very beautiful, very, he, it's very classical music. And then he goes in and disorder it mm -hmm. and counteracts on it. And it, it, it comes so much beauty out of it. I think it's, it's quite, quite a mute, mature. I, I like pop music mm. as well. Would you be willing to give us a, a short playlist? <laughs> <laughs> not, not now, but for, yeah. the, for the website. Yeah, yes, of course I would. Also some recipes for good food. <laughs> <laughs> Final question. How do you see your work evolving in the next in the next decade? I'm very interested in 
how we take landscape into all the ecological questions. Because if you think of them as form-giving things, all the ecological question tends to be smaller questions, not in the in the terms of of what they should do for us, but there's either controlled by technology or they're controlled by small issues that have have tends to be um, personal uh, affections. And then you have a landscape as a tradition developed and redeveloped in the modernistic period where you get a sense that, that it has a fami- familiarity. And I think that uh, you need to work with these two issues and take things further. Mm. And also I think I'll be very influenced by the fact that uh, I think this has been a wonderful biennale and it's been such a pleasure to listen to all the other mm-hmm. stuffs and, and I think I've opened so many doors yesterday. Mm-hmm. Uh, there were so many windows, like mm-hmm. I think the Portuguese stands mm-hmm. very strong. I, uh, I still think there's a, a very steady French tradition where they, um, they're very clever in doing very big projects. And I think uh, I, I miss the part of English or Scottish tradition. Mm-hmm. And, and also I'm, I'm pleased to see some of the American stuff tomorrow. So I Do you think still think great. there are clear differences between the way cultures practice landscape architecture? In American Europe? In European, primarily. I, I think that you're truly developing probably eyes for European culture. Not in any kind of homogenic form. It will still have many, many differences between North and South and mm-hmm. East and West. But I think there are parts where we look very much alike in that sense that we understand each other immediately. Mm-hmm. So that's and I think that's, um, it has taken more than 30 years now to develop that. But it, it's, been, it's been a beautiful conference and Biennale. And I'm looking forward to, to today as well. Yes. There's some good options to get clever. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well, thank you very much for, for taking the time and joining us uh, at Terrograms. And good luck with, uh, with all to come in your future. Thank you. I hope for the best uh, with, with the, the prize is, is to be announced this evening. Tonight. Yeah. We'll keep our fingers crossed. Good luck. <laughs> Christina Jensen is a landscape architect with a studio in Aarhus, Denmark, and the recent winner of the fifth Rosa Parba European Landscape Prize. Thank you for joining us for the 14th Dispatch of Terrograms. Join us for our next couple of dispatches for conversations with landscape architects Chris Reed of the studio Stoss Landscape Urbanism, Gary Hildebrand, partner of the Boston firm Reed Hildebrand, and Liat Margolis, author of Living Systems. To find out more about Terrograms and sign up for our next deliveries, please visit our website at terrograms.com or subscribe to us using iTunes. Special thanks to the books for their wonderful and very cool music. You can expose yourself more to the books at thebooksmusic.com. 
I'm Craig Verzone, and this concludes the 14th delivery of Terrograms. Gentlemen, good luck. I was without a job, without a salary. I, I was trying to get unemployment, and I was told it first kicks in after a few weeks. And I was busy looking for another job, and I also have a heart condition. And I told him I have a heart condition. I said, here, take a, a few dollars. I'm sorry this happened to you, just, but just leave me alone. I'm not the person who, who deposited us. Myself, April, Tammy, and Brad. Rainbow, 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 rainbow